I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey, check it out. Our newest sponsor at Rebel Radio is Wix.com. If you need a website, if you have a business or just a career, or maybe it's your personal portfolio, if you're trying to get your hustle on, you got to have a website. Wix.com makes it easy. They have drag and drop editors. There's no coding, no programming needed. It's fast and easy for you to jump on and make a really good looking website all on your own. It's free and it's easy. What else do you want? Go to Wix.com today and get it going. Wix.com. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Yo, I love the Baker Boys shit on that. Those dudes are crazy. Welcome back to Rebel Radio. We are all over the web. Rebelradio.net, Facebook, Twitter. Anything you can think of, we're there, except for all the other channels. We're not on any of those. But welcome. It's our Rebel Radio show. I got a special two-for-one for you this week. Kevin and Kevin. Kevin Kerslake is the director of a new documentary, As I Am, The Life and Times of DJ AM. Kevin Scott, DJ Kevin Scott is his co-producer. And uh, they come in and talk about this film, about uh, you know the life of, of one of the most influential DJs of our time and you know how the movie came together and what it meant to them personally. Kevin Kerslake is a long time, uh, highly acclaimed music video director. Kind of made his jump from the alternative rock world uh, into uh, now hip hop with this with this AM project, and he's going to talk about his journey and what what this film means to him personally. Uh, Kevin Scott's going to give us some insights into the creative process making a film like this, as well as everything else he does. He says his rule is don't sugarcoat it. If you got something to say, get it out there. I hope you enjoy the interview. I really hope you enjoy the movie. It's I think it's fantastic. Um, 
we'll, you'll hear in the interview, you know, I, I've known or I knew AM kind of off and on over the years. And I think this movie does a fantastic job really telling his story. I hope you'll check it out at DJAMDoc.com. And we're going to get into that and much, much more after the EDM.com track of the week. Let's do that first. I was thinking about my 20s In my 20s I was thinking about my 30s In my 30s I was thinking about my 40s So hopefully in my 40s I ain't gotta worry You gotta get it right while you a younger man Be your own provider instead of holding out your hands Be the guy people rely on when they hit the fan Not the guy they picking up cause he can barely stand A grown man, not grown just because of years Grown because you set examples for all your peers When the rest disappeared you was always there Ready to sacrifice more blood, sweat and tears I know hard work and discipline ain't glamorous But I'll be damned if you see me panhandling Alright, that was the track of the week from our friends over at EDM.com that was Blueprint with a track called Long Term. I hope you enjoyed that. Check it out online if you did. Send us a comment if you want to hear more music like that. And now let's hear the interview with Kevin Kerslake and Kevin Scott. Nice. Nice. Well, welcome to the show. I appreciate you guys coming out. Kevin Kerslake, Kevin Scott. Um, we're going to talk about the documentary that you guys just worked on, uh, As I Am. About uh, the life of DJ AM and then I want to get into a little bit of um, your backgrounds and how you got to that point and you know learn a little bit more about you along the way uh, but thanks for being here appreciate Thank you for it having us. yep thanks for having us got to see the movie at the LA premiere it was fantastic um, you know it was uh, you know hugely emotional and you know I think as evidenced by it was re just a really interesting experience I mean the, the film was great I know you guys had a kind of a Q&A at the end and no one, no one had any <laughs> questions, which I imagine was a little, I felt uncomfortable for you on stage, but, yeah. but I kind of got it sitting there because I think, you know, it was just heavy, mm. like fun at times too, but you know, it was heavy. And then, uh, but then everyone, you know, we went outside in the lobby and it was like a party and it was, you know, a really good time. And, and, uh, it's funny, you know, personally I woke up the next morning feeling all those emotions like I didn't it didn't really hit me at night um but the next day I was just like fuck this is you know like I, I just went through some shit yeah and I, I can imagine what that was like for you guys did you know AM yeah so uh AM played one of the first clubs that I promoted um uh, which was 95 it was a little wow uh sort of shitty night at at bar one back then uh i was kind of just getting started in, in uh in that business but um and then we sort of kept in touch we weren't friends but we just sort of knew each other you know around the way whenever we saw each other and you know i kind of followed his career from afar and respected everything he did um you know talking going back to the the q a part was kind of tricky we had a lot of talks about how we wanted that 
how how we wanted to sort of end it because the movie ends at such a obviously a, yeah. a heavy place and uh, you know should we should we wait for the credits to roll all the way out and you know will people leave the theater and all of these elements trying to figure out the best way to do that yeah and uh, before I think when we did the other screenings they would they would cut the credits like right away and the lights would come up oh yeah and uh, it it sort of I think you know after talking to Kevin about it, he felt like it was a little bit of an injustice to the to, uh, to the emotional part of the of the movie mm-hmm. so I think the decision was made to just let it roll all the way out and uh, let people have that yeah that few minutes you know yeah so uh, I th- <laughs> so we we found out the result of that which was basically people pretty quiet at the end yeah it's all right yeah it's fine totally Absolutely. fine yeah. yeah I think that's actually was was the desired outcome right well I think yeah when 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 you're watching it alone at home or in a theater um, you never have the opportunity to ask questions or right. t- talk to people. So yeah. I think that was the end game is just, you know, you want to leave people thinking about a movie mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not not getting on to some other conversation. Even though we're going to talk about the movie, it's still operating on that level after seeing the movie, I think is difficult. And Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, I knew I'd have questions, but I figured I'd hold them for today. <laughs> there you go. Um, there you go. So but why why'd you make this movie? Well, a number of reasons actually drew me to to uh, to AM's story. I think that um, you know the obvious one is is his skills, his musical skills. I think his passion for music. Um, we all live in the in the music industry, and I think that um, it's it's um, it's pretty intoxicating actually to, to 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 meet people or talk to people or even just explore people who are so passionate about music and the arts and 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 the its ability to impact. Um, consciousness and uh, behavior and, 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 and all those things. So I think, uh, you know, that was, that was an operative plane throughout the entire um, process. Um, I think that his, his trajectory, you know, as, as, as a dot moving through the universe and, and sort of the, the ups and downs that he experienced, I think were probably more dramatic than, than, than most people. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that the, the the dramatic and the comedic actually aspects of his story are 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 pretty unique to him um i think that just the fact that he was able to plow through some pretty incredible situations family situations um uh, addictions uh substance abuse and 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 uh and as well as just sort of making it blazing a trail through the industry at a time when dj's really weren't you know, they were in the back room, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're stuck in the corner. And right. as Anthony Bellinger said, he's like, they, they could have been a tape playing, you know, he's, <clears> they, yeah. did, they didn't have that sort of profile. So um, I think AM was responsible, largely responsible for changing that. Um, and, and what that did to club culture and pop culture in general, um, I think that's a pretty incredible story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the tragic proportions of his, of his life, they had a personal... Um, connection to me, I think, just because you know we we in in the in the arts and entertainment industry, you know, we it's it's where a lot of the misfits end up. You know, incredibly talented people. You know, in in, in whatever medium, but um, it it it's that talent's not necessarily nourished by you know perfect circumstances in somebody's life. They're they uh, sure they are uh, challenged. Uh, or, or sort of um, 
<laughs> nuclearized in a way because of some challenging circumstances in their life and it's and 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 they push forward the arts because of those you know as a reaction to some of those circumstances that they're going through and and I think that um a lot of times too many times it ends up in 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 tragic endings yeah. and uh and having lost a lot of friends and even people that I don't know but ad- but admired um to those same cir- circumstances um it really it, I I was intrigued about um getting into the forensics of 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 those types of stories um there are some common um elements with all those stories um so I wanted to explore that in a way that hadn't necessarily been explored before. When, you know, there are certain biographies ab- about all those people that, mm-hmm. that um, you know, really put them up on the pedestal, but they don't really get into the, the nuts and bolts of how those things, how it ended up that way. Yeah, so I want to talk about those common elements a little bit. I know, so your, your background, you're, you're a rock guy. Uh, we don't have time to list all of your credits because it's only an hour show. Um, but like, you know, you made, I would say a, a big chunk of the important music videos from the, the early nineties to the alternative music era with Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and Queens of Stone Age. Um, and then, you know, some documentaries with some of those folks as well, right? You made a Nirvana documentary. Yep. Um, and so, you know, notably, you know, you've worked with Kurt Cobain, with Scott Weiland, and and now with AM. Um, uh, so, can can you talk about those those common points? Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, it's all it, it, you know. It all starts with the family, I think, and and uh, you know they were missing something at home, or they were abused at home, or or uh, you know something wasn't just hitting it right and a lot of that a lot of times actually that that happened to be um you know sort of in their genetic makeup it mm-hmm. wasn't even just environmental it was it was you know the fact that they were ocd or adhd um and and <laughs> i mean i don't i almost don't i i can't even think of one person i know who doesn't have adhd who works in this industry so it's like those are all things that we're familiar with and we yeah. wrestle with to be honest on, on a day-to-day basis so um that's why I think that some of the bonds that 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 maybe I've had with musicians um, is so close is because you know there's an understanding of just diff- each other's psyche, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but I think that um, you know when you explore a lot of the artists that I work with, um, their lyrics, um, you know you there's always something tragic I think in 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 uh, in, in the artists I think that I really like you know or a particular insight into the human condition that Mm -hmm. that um is able to to illuminate you know some discrepancies between you know what they're saying and maybe what what a mainstream um perception of certain things are um and they're incredibly personal as well so i think that the the level of insight that they had into themselves and that AM actually had into himself and he doesn't come out in lyrics for him but it comes out in certain speeches that he gave mm-hmm. that 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 we have in the movie um you know that's uh, i think that sort of drive uh, that to to uh for self-knowledge and 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 just to to grasp the universe um uh i think that it's um you know the artists that i was lucky enough to work with they had a particular 
gift for that and, 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 and how to turn a phrase or, or and that that is what connected I think them to so many millions of people is that um, they were just able to articulate something uh, that that just hit this chord in people that, that you know maybe people didn't even know what it was but it just they spoke for those men that, that many people yeah um, and I think in, 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 in a weird way like the ADHD um, element uh, it, it shows up it obviously shows up in pretty abrasive music right you know it's like <laughs> uh, sure uh, whether it's song structure or, or, or whatever and I think that at, that actually was expressed in, in AM sets as well mm-hmm. uh, you know he bounced he was a pinball you know just and, and that dialectic between genres and, 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 and themes and things like that um, was pretty interesting to explore, actually, in the, in, in the edit. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, as a, as a DJ, there was a certain restlessness, I think, to AM. And and, um, and uh, something came out in the movie that I hadn't, had never thought about. Um, and it, there was a scene where he, he essentially started a fight in the club by playing certain records. Um, and uh, Kevin, I'm sure you've had the experience of, of being able to move a crowd to certain emotions or certain kind of behaviors. Um, I, I think it's, I think we kind of say, you know, Jackson James says, you know, he, when it came to the dance floor, he was a yeah. puppet master and, um, you know, he certainly had that way to either make it really fun or really aggressive or whatever it was that he was after. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think the way that he knew how to combine musical elements to create that kind of emotion was, uh, you know, a revelation, really. Yeah. And the first time I saw him do certain things and create a certain type of energy in a room, and I'd already been DJing for a long time, and to, to see that actually happen um, with just the way he was manipulating things was, was pretty awesome. I mean, it's one thing to play certain songs in a row and create a theme or, or you know, a certain sound you're looking for, mm-hmm. but to take that and elevate it to the point where you're actually controlling the way people feel in the room um and and you're you know you're mixing quickly and you're you're precise and you're sending a specific message yeah uh, at least for me i had never seen anything like that till i saw am well it's interesting so you know let's talk about you a little bit and, and i know you're a successful dj um and i haven't seen you play live but i've, I've seen some of your stuff online and you know you're, you're great um <laughs> and i'm also uh, retired but right, yeah. a retire. You may be our first retiree on the show. So yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But, um, but you know what? What stands out to me, and you know, I've known a lot of DJs, you know, over my career, and some of them really well. And I think, you know, the skill set for the most part is relatively narrow. Meaning, most DJs can kind of do more or less the same thing. Right. Um, yeah, give or take. Yeah, give or take. Per, per, right. The skill sets are That's the same. A right. Generalization, but right. but it's a it's relatively narrow skill set, maybe compared to other professions. But you know, a lot of the innovation happens from my observation happens when one guy just shows other people something that maybe they hadn't thought of or didn't realize they could do. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of things had to go right. Uh, for for Adam and they did and I think you know coming into the mid 2000s uh, when I was playing in clubs it was it was pretty much 
everybody was just playing hip hop. That was that was all anybody was playing. Yeah. Um, and people were kind of afraid to break that that comfort barrier of only playing hip hop. I actually remember I I had a long time gig that I had done for like ten plus years, and I remember playing a Prince record at this club, and they were so used to hip hop that they were like pissed off at me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like right. what's this guy doing? Yeah. Adam had really yeah. sort of shifted that entire thing because he was playing open complete open format um, and doing it in a really cool way and in a hip hop way Mm -hmm. so he was capturing that part of the audience and then also the other people that he was playing to and that that style was not popular at that point nobody really knew about it especially outside of the LA area Mm -hmm. nobody really was aware of this and I think we touch on it in the movie you know he did that mix for Power 106 and it was like the middle of the day and uh, it was supposed to be like up in the club, what he's playing up in the club. And, um, you know, he was really apprehensive about that uh, because, you know, Power was playing nothing but hip hop and R&B. Right. And he was going to go on there and play Leonard Skinner and Neil Diamond and, you know, all this stuff that he had been playing. And he was going to do it in a cool way, but he was nervous about it. couple days making edits because Adam never played clean versions of anything everything he played was right. was explicit version right yeah. so we had to make a lot of these songs didn't have you know clean versions or he just didn't have the time to get them all together so we were editing this stuff together to take it there and um, you know because I, I did a lot of like editing at that time so I was kind of helping him with that and we were driving there and he and this is something that like never really happened for him he got super nervous about it and he, he didn't want to go mm-hmm. he wanted to turn the car around and he's like I'm I can't do this. It's going to be whack. You know, and I'm like, no, you, you know, you have to do this. Like, this is important, you know, uh, yeah. f- for our profession, you know, for people to hear that there's a whole other style because internet wasn't the way it is now. You couldn't just share it on your Facebook page or whatever. It didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So uh, he went and he did it. And I had texted my, my buddy, uh, Jerry, shout out to White Matic. He's my buddy. And I, he had a big old antenna and everything. And I said, you know, so he had like, perfect reception i said can you record this mix it's from three to five just record it and you know i just wanted to have it basically yeah Yeah. and uh so he recorded it and then we ended up uploading it to a serato forum board where every dj was and people completely lost their mind Mm -hmm. because they had you know everybody was playing the same 100 songs Mm -hmm. and here's this thing that is just completely different yeah and i really feel that moment for the dj culture at that particular time shifted everything I mean, it completely changed the game and opened up a whole, uh, you know, a whole wave of open format music for like the next, geez, we were in that phase for five, six years. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's, you know, there's other guys that were doing it, but right. but that particular mix that, that came out and hit, uh, you know, kind of hit the internet really put us in that trajectory. And Adam was, you know, he was the biggest guy mm-hmm. and he was the coolest guy and you could easily access him. You could look him up and you could see him, you know, with, with, you know, celebrities and you right. could see 
that he was really doing it and doing huge parties. And so I think all of the younger DJs, impressionable people, they saw that and, and it really kind of just changed everything. Yeah. There are a lot of people actually on, on when you go to the message boards too that didn't believe that that was actually he was doing it. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I had to. Yeah, I spent many hours defending him. Is that right? No, I was one hundred percent live. You know, <laughs> yeah. and and people didn't want to. You know, sure. th- people didn't even know what a mashup was at that right. point or anything really. And it was sort of a it was a complete reeducation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you guys connect and, and tell us about how you got involved with the film, uh, Kevin and I? Uh-huh. Um, so he started. He had been working on the on the movie and. Uh, uh, Jonathan Schechter, mm-hmm. uh, Schechter Green was was involved at that time, and I was in regular contact with him. We're friends, and I kind of was like, "So what's up? You know, what's up with the movie? You know, like I haven't heard anything, and I guess he's been working on it for uh, like six months at that point or something." And as it's it turned out, he was yeah. <laughs> as it turned out, he was going in chronological order. Yeah, you know, with his interviews, so yeah. he hadn't got to me. I'm sort of towards the end, you know. Right. And so I just reached out to him, and we set up an interview, and uh, we sat down, and we I think we did like three hours or so. Mm-hmm. It was pretty long, first time, yeah. And then we got to talking kind of after it, and he's like, "I really would love to have this stuff too." So he came back the next day, and we did another. Whenever you wrap the cameras, it's always like, then the stories come out. So yeah. you, you have to keep the microphone, everything yeah. uh, set up, even though you think you're you're faking, like you're actually boxing things up. Uh-huh. So we did so we Mr. did a Scott couple was days. rolling through all the time. Yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's like, it's funny. It's like you got to, you know, loosen up and get going, you know. Right, right. I think right towards the yeah. end, I was feeling real comfortable <laughs> with him, you know, because it's like the first time you meet somebody and you're kind of, sure. uh, you know, getting used to the whole process. Plus, you have everything in your face and. Yeah, kind of like this here. Yeah, and done yeah. a lot. Hadn't done a lot of those at that point, so I was kind of like, okay. Yeah. But uh, and then we did a second day, and then I would just check in with him. Uh, how's it going? You know, I was very curious about the project. I wanted it, you know, I wanted it to 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 be representative of my friends. So mm-hmm. um, we kept checking in, and uh, you know, I think uh, it's fair to say he and I get along pretty good. And um, so we uh, we just kept talking, and then eventually he he asked me to to come on board as a co-producer and help with some other elements like the uh, music end of it and uh, what we in so we we would just get together and work on the movie and I would try to give him insight and um, yeah that's that's pretty much how I mean, it started. Kevin uh, has been invaluable throughout the whole process I mean I I, I, I came to him late mm-hmm. um, but I had other I had a ton of other material that I was getting through that which explains basically why the, the process is so slow sure um, you know I got I got AM's laptops and there was something like you know, fifty to seventy thousand stills on there, and wow. five to ten thousand videos, and and other documents, and and uh, um, you know, he, he lived a pretty full life, you know, and he had the f- he had his foot on the gas every single day. Mm-hmm. So, um, but Kevin, you know, he really knew AM in and out. I think musically, he was he was really attuned to, you know what he did sort of on the evolutionary scale that that distinguished am from 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 others uh going backwards and forwards actually mm-hmm. and and uh and so and he's a, just an encyclopedia his you know mine is a steel trap so he he knows that he knows every single set and yeah. and i think that um he also really wanted to make sure that the integrity of the film um was what Adam deserved, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and he, he, um, you know, he kept me on my toes and, uh, and also just illuminated a lot of stuff that, that, that was, you know, maybe a question in my mind, uh, or just, I needed backup or something like that. And, and so the scope of the story, I think that Kevin, you know, grasps, you know, the intimate as well as the, the, uh, sort of, 
you know, this, this not the superficial level, but but the sort of the story that everybody needs to know, mm-hmm. as well as the intimate details of of uh, of how how Adam got to what to to where he did. Yeah, you know, I think I spoke up a lot. You know, like if 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 there was something I felt strongly about, I would I'd make a case for it. And I think that Joel, that, and, I think Joel and Kevin really respected that. Yeah. And the, these two, these two guys, you know, they're the type of guys that they will 100% hear you out. And we had a lot of very productive discussions. I feel like um, about you know how we were presenting certain things and and, and how it would turn out. And uh, you know that all goes to just trying to make the best movie possible, which was 100% uh, my number one goal with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to to feel like Adam. And, and and to have that respect for for who he was and yeah. and there's many aspects to that it's not just as a DJ you know? right yeah so does that come naturally to you to just kind of say what's on your mind and and yeah, you know pretty. fight for what you're... <laughs> yeah I, I you know because I can imagine you know you're, you're working with a director who's uh, experienced and we started you know, off a huge pretty, track record and yeah st- you know I, I I sort of felt out the process I feel like a little bit I, I would say something if I really you know if I really wanted to say something I would I would bring it up to him but I just think as the relationship evolved with, with Kevin and with the editor, Joel Marcus, is, you know, as, as that relationship evolved and you get to know people, you, you sort of feel like you can say more. You can mm-hmm. be direct. And Joel actually was the one that kind of really pushed that. Like, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. Like, Kev's the same way. You know, don't, don't sugarcoat it. If you've got something you want to say, just say it. So that kind of opened up the door for me to really, you know, um, if I felt strongly about something, then I would say something. But, you know, I want to paint a picture that there was a bunch of things wrong that I had to fix or anything. I mean, they had the, <laughs> they had the no, story pretty much right. But yeah. if there were certain things, I, I would definitely speak up, you know. I mean, when you're doing a doc, there's there's so many different – it's operating on so many different levels. You know, you've got – you've obviously got that person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you want the, the you want all the facts to line up. You want it to be completely true and, 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 uh, and accurate. Um, and if there are – bigger lessons to draw from certain things, um, whether it's artistically, um, in terms of what he's doing in, in music, or the impact of his addiction, uh, or his, you know, some of the skeletons in his closet on him, and how that, how other people might, you know, find a toehold in, 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 in that, that connects with them personally. Um, then those opportunities sort of give you a little license to, to, to explore. But I think that in terms of having the facts down, it's imperative, obviously, if you're doing a bio on somebody, yeah. that that you're operating from that level, mm-hmm. and and uh, and having the people in his universe, whether it's family or friends, um, you know, sometimes you can get into in the situations where somebody's so close to them that they don't recognize other parts. Like I know I, there are dear friends of Adams mm-hmm. who had no idea that he went through some of the shit that he went through, and. And, uh, of course, yeah. And uh, and wouldn't believe it, and wouldn't even believe the necessarily the impact that it had on him later on in life, mm-hmm. um, w- which was instrumental in in in, uh, in sort of disarming his ability to to fight back against certain certain things, and and lose those battles. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if you trace the DNA from some of those things all the way back, you find some episodes early on in his life that were catastrophic absolutely right. catastrophic yeah and um and somebody who is who's you know just ne- knows the glory days they're not going to have any idea or even any any impulse to even look for that stuff yeah i mean obviously we tend to glorify people and especially people that have passed right and we we 
you know, you paint the rosy picture in memory, which um, is understandable. But but to your point, and I think you know the the movie really gets into that almost from the opening, right? You know, it's it's uh, it hits you with with some of those catastrophes that happened early on, mm-hmm. um, and the plane crash. Yeah, so, absolutely. Which happened late. Yeah, and people still didn't even recognize. I mean, he that happened eleven months before he died. Right. People don't. I mean, Cosmo Baker says, "Do you know anybody who's? I don't know anybody who survived a plane crash. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we right. don't. I mean, there's no way that we can really <coughs> even imagine the impact of something like that on somebody. Yeah, and uh, and and a lot of the people around him, well-intentioned people. You know, not this is not to you know put anybody on blast, but but people just weren't able to to imagine." the impact of it on him and and then do things or manage things that enabled him to maybe get around some of those issues you know Mm -hmm. so he was very strong-willed too so yeah that plays a role as well rebel radio is supported by wix.com it's the easiest way to make your own website and not have it look like garbage there's hundreds of templates that are easy for you to customize with drag and drop tools. You can have your own website for your business, your personal portfolio, your modeling career, you handsome devil. Whatever it is, it's easy and it's fast and it's free. Could you ask for anything more? Go to Wix.com today and sign up. Wix.com. One of the, the themes that stood out to me in the movie was um, this, he was painted as an obsessive right and it, it and it if i would do the injustice of telling the story right like he was obsessive about his drug use and then he was obsessive about record collecting sneaker collecting his craft as a dj his performance schedule right like whatever literally, he literally did. everything yeah. yeah yeah um so how important is that to be successful in this line of work I think it's what, you know, you, you can have a good career or you can have a great career. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's how much you sink into it. I think it even plays to even some of the smaller parts in the movie where it just talks about that one summer where that's all he did. Locked right. himself in a room. I don't think he had any grand vision really at that point other than I'm going to put everything into this. And that's kind of how he did it. And I think, uh, you know, he, I think Kevin touched on it before. I mean. That guy was so busy. He did so much every single day. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, uh, yeah, come out. Let's hang out today. You know, go up to his house. It was a, supposed to be like a, you know, him and I hanging out so or whatever, right? Out, yeah. And this was one of his lighter scheduled days. He had a million things going on. Oh, hold yeah. on one second. Let me go take care of this. And, oh, I got to call so-and-so. And, I gotta, and I'm like, man, this guy's like, but it was always like that, mm-hmm. you know? And I just think he just, he wanted to just do as much as possible, you know, bring it on. And, um, you know, he did that. And I think it had a lot to do with his success because he was just not afraid to put in the work, not afraid to fill his schedule, not afraid to, to say no to certain things, to the positive and the detriment, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think it played a big role for him. It's yeah. funny. I, I uh, you know, thinking about having kids and, and, and how you'd be as a parent and how and then you start to think about how your parents perceived you as a sure. kid or me as a kid. 
you know, I'd be in the darkroom for 36 hours straight. I would be in an edit for seven days straight. I'd be sleeping under the edit table and, you know, order food in, get a couple hours of sleep on the linoleum floor, wake up, oh my God, I gotta keep cutting. And then it's like, and then I just basically collapse at right. some point later on in the day. And, and a lot of times you're just sitting on your bed with headphones on, completely blowing out your ears, or playing guitar for hours on end. Yeah. And you know, if somebody po peeked into your room, they can just think that you're just fucking off, just wasting time, right? But it's like that, uh, there was an obsessive quality. And I think that anybody basically who, who is in a band that succeeds, or even it maybe doesn't succeed, doesn't have that, you know, the stars just don't align, but they are still just as committed. Um, that drive, I think, is imperative to have if you're gonna if you're going to do anything. I mean, a lot of times it's just stroke of luck, mm -hmm. and you know maybe somebody's you know got perfect bone structure and shit, and shit just happens. And, right, sure. You know, and, and the uh, right family, perfect right relative, doctor, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. like and 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 they get pushed, you know, into the into the sweet spot. But um, yeah, drive is a funny thing, you know, in terms of because uh, it it expresses itself in in, in so many different ways. And and really only the person who's like right in the pocket in the driver's seat. He doesn't even know where it's going, but he knows that it's it's you know he's answering the call right now, or she's answering the call right now. So with that in mind, and I we sort of touched on this earlier, but but how much do you think that drive and addiction are linked? <clears throat> I and this is I because I'm not. My grandfather died of, al of alcoholism. Um, and I know a lot of people in that world. I don't personally, you know, I can't speak to like where, you know, those things sort of, um, yeah, I mean, I we guess, know, I guess we know the you're science not a doctor, of it, right? but, but I, I, I asked everybody that I interviewed, you know, where, uh, who was, who was dialed into that world? Um, you know, where does the line, because everybody is, I mean, in this world anyway it's you know there's a recreational use you know where does recreational use turned into substance abuse right and for for uh, almost you know to the person it was you know it really depends on what's going on before like what they've inherited yeah and uh and i think that you know the the the, the ferocity of that issue whether it's a mommy or daddy issue or you know um you know just not getting the attention or being hurt, mm -hmm. you know, by, by, by abuse, you know, like concussed or, you know, mm -hmm. some sort of, it just seems like it, it, it seems so arbitrary and so random. And, and, um, and it's interesting because a lot of the, the science about, um, addiction, uh, is that there's a, there, it, it exists in the genetic makeup. Right. Um, there is a story in the film or a question in the film about Adam's paternal, um, roots, mm -hmm. you know, whether his addic addicted father is actually his father. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it's not, then it's just completely, it's the science of that is not necessarily genetic, but it's environmental as right. well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's incredibly sad. I mean, we just lost Scott Weiland, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, uh, it's, like the regularity of this story is is so depressing yeah. in a way um and you really have to admire the fight i know i know that people who who endure those sorts of issues they fight it every single day you have to fight it on a day-to-day -day basis and they're um you know the tenacity that's required it's uh it's pretty legendary i mm -hmm. think yeah
Absolutely. Um, well, you mentioned it, but kind of take us back to those days on the linoleum floor. Like, how'd you get started <laughs> as a filmmaker, and what what drew you to that? Uh, it's funny, actually. I I, uh, I I I grew up partly in L.A. and then I moved to Mammoth in junior high. And uh, my my parents and I ski raced and you know did all the stupid action sports basically that you would do as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Ski, surf, snowboard. And uh, my one Christmas, my parents gave us kids. I have a brother and sister. They gave us all Super 8 camera. I hijacked that mm-hmm. and was just started doing ski films and skate films. And, and this is junior high and high school, basically. Yeah. And um, cutting them up, they wouldn't even necessarily be shown anywhere. But but I still have all the reels at home. And, you know, cool. uh, I'd race, go back, grab my camera, go back up, shoot all my friends that are coming down the no course. No GoPro yeah. back then. No GoPro, yeah. It's, it's, it's Super 8 film. Yeah. Right? So... Uh, I just kept on that course. I was actually in a couple of Warren Miller films that he shot in Mammoth, uh, and uh, it wasn't even a conscious thing, but I knew that that dude had a cool job, mm-hmm. <laughs> traveling mm-hmm. around the world, narrating his films, and and uh, and so I basically just started on a trajectory, basically following his following his path, and then at one point, um, just totally by mistake or by accident I got into doing narrative films and experimental films and uh, won a student academy award uh, for the region for California mm-hmm. and uh, and then just got pulled into music videos again like completely by accident like every single thing that happened in, in, you know in, in my I guess my film career was almost by accident even though I, I always had a camera in my hand but um, what, what was your first music video? First music video I did for um, Sonic Youth, mm-hmm. Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah, really lucky. Kim was in a movie that I was doing. Kim Gordon, the yeah. one of the singers for, for Sonic Youth. So uh, we were doing a movie, and then uh, it was like 10 seconds of black in this section that we were doing. And the band is like, you know, that's a really good place for you know some band footage to go. <laughs> and it was one of her speak-sing songs, you know. The So we just threw them some VHS footage, totally terrible quality and mm-hmm. it, it worked and it basically became a closet classic mm-hmm. <laughs> on MTV. Yeah. yeah. And, and so um, do you remember that feeling of, you know, your first paid gig or getting that paycheck for making your art? Yeah, it's sort of like, the people are going to pay me for this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, it's funny, I didn't, I know a lot of people actually capitalize on that. I didn't do that. I was like, whoa, shit. that just means I have more money. If somebody's going to pay me, that means I can actually have a higher budget because I can put my money into getting a crane or getting a helicopter, you know, some, something. Um, I always just sort of threw it back into the into the mix. Yeah. And uh, and I wasn't doing, I was the bands that I was doing were all like, they were the brats at the labels, right? Um, right. They, they had to do music videos because contractually they were obligated to, but... They weren't getting the, the Motley Crue budgets or the Bon Jovi ju- budgets or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I stayed away from hair like that. <laughs> so, and and when was there a moment when you realized like this is, this is my career now? Like I'm I'm going to do this. I just never considered anything else to mm-hmm. be honest. Yeah, it was just. Um, I mean, I went to film school, so mm-hmm. there was definitely a commitment at that level. Um, just I think to the arts, photography. You know, I'd, I'd spend a lot of time in the dark room as well and shoot shoot stills. Yeah. So, I really didn't do anything else. I I I read a lot. I I shot. And I basically just lived around film somehow, mm-hmm. and and surfed and skied and snowboarded and you know, 
It's a good life. <laughs> nice. Kevin Scott, how'd you get started DJing and, and what was your first gig? I think it I think it's in my blood because my dad was a DJ, he did like high school parties playing forty fives nice. in the fifties. Wow. <laughs> you know, so I think it's sort of in Sock my blood, but shit. yeah, exactly. Um well I uh you know, back in like the early eighties they used to have I mean, we called them ghetto blasters. I don't mm-hmm. know what the proper name is for them, but yeah. you know, I had one of those dual like deck with a pause boom box. Boom yeah. box, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I used to just make pause tapes off the radio, mm-hmm. and I was real into it. And I kind of liked the way things fit together. And then uh, I have a brother, and he's uh, he's ten years older than me, and he got married. I was in his wedding. It was the first time I ever saw uh, some of the DJ mix two records together. And I looked at my dad, and I was like, "That's what I want to do." And I was like fourteen, mm-hmm. and. Um, my dad, he was a <clears throat> he was a banker and a, and a lawyer. That's what he ended up being. And he kind of was trying to teach me a lesson. And he's like, okay, so this is how we're going to do it. Because he, he was, you know, my parents were pretty successful at that point. So we'll buy you the equipment. Every gig you do, you pay back 50%. You know, like basically trying to teach me a life lesson, essentially. Yeah. But giving me also a chance to, to see if, you know, I really did want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got the equipment. I started doing gigs. Uh, I did them all through high school, up through college. And um, I, 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 went to, uh, I went to college to be a lawyer like my dad and take over his practice. Mm. And um, uh, he had some illness at that point. Um, he had a stroke. And it was like a real eye-opening experience for me. And I kind of put everything on hold. And I was like, let me, let me try to do this music thing and see if I can make this work because mm-hmm. I really like this this is what keeps me up at night this is what wakes me up in the morning and I don't know about this lawyer stuff like this doesn't look like a good ending you know mm-hmm. and um, so I just started pursuing it and uh, um, I think my first gig was like just a high school backyard party I was terrible it takes back then it took time there yeah. was no yeah. there was no tutorial on YouTube and and there was like really you, you know you had to you had to learn all your records you had to get money together to buy them you had to learn how to use the equipment. I mean, it was tough. Were you, know? you conscious of the fact that it was terrible? At the, in yeah. The, at it the made party? me want to get better. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you go to a party and things don't work out the way they do in your head prior to the party. You know, mm-hmm. you have a certain expectation and it doesn't happen. And uh, you go, I need to get better. And and then it, when was the first time you, you, what was the first gig where you felt like you'd, you'd gotten there? Um, so I started in, you know, like officially in like 88. I think mm-hmm. around like the early 90s, rave music became really popular. And I really loved it. Like I was super into that stuff. And um, like, what were you playing? Like, like uh, you know, I, th- I remember like when Human Resource Dominator came out. That kind of music, which mm-hmm. was like really aggressive, you know, techno. Like basically, it was like aggressive stuff, and it was all coming from the UK. And it was like really eye-opening music to me, and I was interested in it. Um, and um, so I would just spend all my money on those records, and I would just practice like crazy. I think it really took, you know, the right style of music for me, and then I was just, I remember practicing mixing like hours and hours on end until I got good at it. Mm-hmm. And it was right around that time I started doing, you know, more parties. And, and um, you know, by then I was in just starting college. Mm-hmm. So I made a conscious effort to like get involved with the fraternities and stuff and start doing their parties. And, um, you know, you if you can do, <laughs> if you can do a frat party where anything goes 
and you can get through that and, and rock it you know everything else feels pretty easy because yeah. it's really no rules you know mm-hmm. so uh that's that's basically kind of how i started and then i just never really wanted to grow up never really <laughs> wanted to stop i just i was like i like this like this this is for me yeah and um i just kept at it and and uh, you know eventually it, it turned into something really good for me and was it just like uh <clears throat> was there a a big break so to speak or was that just like a little step each time there was a big break but there was a lot of incremental breaks before that so um you know you kind of you kind of go through i think like in in the mid 90s i got my first club gig mm-hmm. and um that was consistent money and it was at a quality place and it was like where was that uh, well, it was in Orange County. It was called Off Campus Pub. It was right across from Cal State Fullerton. Mm-hmm. And they had like a Thursday night there, and it was like a college night. And I kept playing there every week and eventually built it up to where there was like a line around the block. And a lot of that was cheap drinks, but I like to think I had a little something to do with it. <laughs> sure. But, you know, uh, we built that up, and, and that was like, you know, that was like my first uh, real gig where it was really solid. And then from there, I just kept trying to do more stuff. The big break came when I met Adam, I think. That was a real education. Um, How'd you meet? So I was making records. I got into uh, into uh, basic production. I was making vinyl records for DJs. And I was, uh, it was a company I was trying to start. And uh, I was shipping them all over. And I one of the things I did was I shipped them to all of the radio guys, especially the LA radio guys. So I knew Vice mm-hmm. and, and some of these other guys. And I was sending them the records. And Vice hit me up one day and said, uh, hey, my my buddy am he wants to get some of your records because he'd been buying them mm-hmm. and am liked free shit so mm-hmm. he's like let me put me in contact with that guy let, sure. me, let me get some free records so wh- what kind of records are you making uh they were like compilation records so yeah. they had like intro outros for and then i did like some party breaks like ultimates kind of stuff yeah, yeah. I, I had uh i had a company that basically had like six different labels so mm-hmm. we did fat wax mm-hmm. reruns Fill okay. in the gap, crate savers. Like we had a whole line of different, and each record was a little bit different in style. Yeah. And so I was making all of those and and pressing them and distributing them. And I mean, it was a real, you know, that was that ate up all my time that I wasn't DJing. I was doing that. And um, and he wanted the records, and so I was like, uh, I I hadn't heard of him. I didn't know who he was right. because you know, like again, we talk about their social media wasn't like you didn't know who he was mm-hmm. and vice was like trust me this is the guy you want to take care of mm-hmm. so we drove out to meet him and i mean he's larger than life he was larger than life like his personality the way he was everything about him that big booming voice and that charisma and uh, i was like this guy's pretty cool brought mm-hmm. him out a box of records he gave tickets to like a jay-z after party he's like here you go bro come down you know and um from there uh AOL Instant Messenger was what basically <laughs> fueled our friendship. Uh, we would stay up uh, all night talking on AOL Instant Messenger, sending music MP3. MP3s was, you know, pretty new. The you know, but we were sending music back and forth. You know, like we were really into a lot of the same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80s music. He loved rave music as well. We touch on that in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, and uh, we just became fast friends. Like, and uh, had a lot of common interests. And also at that time he was uh, dating Nicole Richie, and um, you know I think a lot of his friends were single, and I was married, mm-hmm. so I was a safe friend. So she didn't mind me uh, right. coming over and hanging out with him, <clears throat> and so uh, so we spent a lot of time together at that point, and uh, and our friendship grew uh, grew quick. Mm-hmm. You know it's interesting. You, I, 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 li- I like a lot of the line of what you're asking about in terms of like trying to crack the code on on uh, obsession and yeah. and and. Uh, and what those things are that really turned on, you know, it, it helped evolve or accelerate. Um, 
Adam practiced like a motherfucker, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that, uh, you know, even going back to that, uh, your first gig and, and other things that we all experience, you know, throughout, you know, there are some black and blue days. Uh, and I'd sp- that's why actually sports is an analogy, might even be act- action sports. Like when you first start in a snowboard, it's there, you know, you're bruised, so bruised. You know? I know, that's why. And every time you get up, it's like, that's awesome. And, you know, and, and yeah. it's just this weird, this weird uh, dichotomy where, you know, you're getting the shit beat out of you. But um, it's just, it's such a charge, you know. So and, when did that happen for you as a filmmaker? Uh, I think it's funny. Uh, my, my thing was knowing, seeing films, experiencing films on a way that, um, you know, maybe music speaks to other people. Mm-hmm. And and seeing that it can resonate in a in a particular way in me, and and wanting to basically s- create those situations where I can turn on other people mm-hmm. as well. Obviously, you never meet them in, in a way that you do as a as a musician playing live. But um, just being able to you know mess with the structure and the architecture of things, as well as the content and the themes and all those how those things sort of synthesize, and being in a couple rooms where you know, my films were were playing and feeling that, it's like, all right, <coughs> I'm on to something, you know? And and uh, I even had, an <coughs> when I was showing, it wasn't even my senior thesis film, but another film um, in a theater, for, I don't know, probably like three or 400 people. And uh, I, I got under the television head's skin he stood up and argued with me for like half an hour and then finally walked out because of something on the screen yeah because i i i stood by why i was doing something it was mm-hmm. like he's like you have to make film for other people and i was like no i don't really like i have faith in myself if, if i'm gonna if i'm gonna dig it yeah i have faith that you're gonna dig it too and it's like that's impossible and it was like it was sacrilege and in mm. the end the entire audience basically applauded me and <laughs> the professor walked out so it it just like some of those things you know restore that that could have gone a completely different way sure. you know and and uh and I was lucky um but I feel like that you know wanting a kid music does it in a way that's just so so you know um quiet it's its impact is so quiet in a way even though we're obviously dealing with sound mm-hmm. but um the universal nature of just being able to connect to people and to, 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 to try to do that on film is, is, uh, I think one of my greatest, that's what I strive for anyway. So that's so interesting. You say that because, you know, your career, like, um, I don't Don't take this the wrong way, but you're, you're kind of a creative for hire. Mm -hmm. What I mean is like, other than those early films, it's not like you're making stuff and then going out and trying to sell it. Sure. Right. So you're making music videos where the band or the label hires you in advance. You know, you've done a ton of uh, com- commercials. Correct me, but you know, AT and T, Coca Cola, like big brands. Yep. And they pay you to tell their stories, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, so I'm interested in how you balance those things, right? Because if if you've got this feeling that if I dig it, other people are going to dig it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, they're your work for hire in, in a lot of those instances. So how do, how does those work together? Yeah. Balance that balance is, is, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't work, you know, and, and you get in fights and you, <laughs> you end up taking your name off the project or, yeah. or, or whatever. But, you know, ideally it, uh, 
you know, you can, you can, there's a meeting of the minds and they hire you because they know that, you know, it's no secret that certain directors are strong-willed and strong-minded. And, and Is that your reputation? Um, I'm not a screamer. I'm quietly that way, but, mm-hmm. but I, there are other people that are more emphatic about it, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they, they, they run their sets like Napoleon and, and uh, you know. Oddly enough, those pe- the, that behavior is sort of rewarded in, in, in our industry, which right. is sort of mystifying. But well, it makes you maybe seem like more of a genius because people can't they can't work, work with you. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. There's a very strange talk about parental issues, you know, <laughs> coming sure coming out. It's like it, there's a pathology there that's that's uh, almost universal among a particular strain of directors, but. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a funny balance, and 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 at different times of my life, I've 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 gravitated more towards commercials or or, or away from them because that's typically where those conflicts are expressed the right. most, you know. Yeah. Um, bands typically are I, I I can connect with bands on that level, and and you know we see see see, see things the same way, and then you know we're sort of this force that's working against you know some of the more commercial instincts. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I started working more in branded, the branded world, like like because friends of mine were you know, ran DC Shoes or mm-hmm. Quicksilver or, or Insomniac, and 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 then you're just working with a brand. Yeah. Throughout, it's not a thirty second commercial, so it's not as toxic as as you know it can get with right. those tor- sorts of jobs, and um, and then you're really just pushing an aesthetic or or a way of life, you know. Right. And um. And you're either on board with that brand or you're not in terms of what they're doing. And then and then the, the, the question is just how to do the best work, you know, to, to push that forward. So given that experience working with brands, um, wh- what do you wish more brands understood? Um, I think that there are rewards in risks, in taking risks, you know. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the corporate mentality is always, you know, you're going to you're, you're looking for a formula. You know, it worked for this this yeah. situation or this brand so it's got to work for us let's bottle some of that up and you know do it sort of like we did like they did but a little different and and instead of really like looking for the for a, uh, an original way in you know that was successful because they didn't do it like anybody else did it mm-hmm. and so take that out op- take that opportunity to to uh you know repeat that <laughs> you know the yeah. fact that they didn't repeat anything and and uh um i mean there are footnotes on everything so you can you can sort of um you can qualify some of those comments but sure. but um i think that uh yeah just i think the risk averse nature of of, <clears throat> of of brands and 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 you know the more money there is obviously the the, the more freaked out people get yeah and um and it should be the opposite i think i mean that's how i've conducted my life it's like well, I got money now. I can take some. I can take some risk. You know, I can right. put it into the AM doc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, but yeah, I mean, they tend to think the stakes are higher, right? So they yeah. have to be safer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've been making films now for a couple of decades, and I think you know, looking back, I looked back at some of your early stuff, and you know, it definitely, I think uh, there was that. MTV style, mm-hmm. which I think you helped to define, um, and how. So, how has the craft of storytelling changed? You know, we've talked a lot about 
our music's changed both on the production and consumption side. Um, what about in, in film? How has that changed? Um, well, it's sort of exploded, I think, in terms of you know the digital universe. The fact that so many people have cameras now and 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 are adept at using them and 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 are interested in telling stories in a particular way um, that's unique to them. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and I think that you know on on the distribution front, the fact that so many outlets are there now, then there's an opportunity to see, you know, for those things to actually f- find find the light in the yeah. universe. So. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the craft of filmmaking is, um, I mean, there's some pretty incredible people making, making stuff now, you know, and, uh, but there's so much <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, you wonder about that volume, but then it, it's not, the only time there's a, there, there's a, there's, I have a reaction to that is, is when you, you know, when everybody's thrown into this sort of this the horse race of box office revenues and things like that and 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 to my mind um you know money is one currency but there are a lot of other currencies at work Mm -hmm. and i think that uh you know the fact that um you know the, the the creative currency um you know now it's it's uh it's 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 good economy (laughs) i think you know because there's so much work and there's you know the 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 ease at which people can make stuff is mm-hmm. uh, pretty astonishing. Like, and, I w- and so how, how have your influences changed? I mean, you know, I get the sense, you know, you started making movies about something you loved, which was sports. And then presumably, you know, you, you're in a uh, flannel shirt, right? So you, <laughs> you come in looking like the, the grunge guy and that was a lot of your early stuff. And so, but you know, now you've made this, this AM movie and I know you did a bunch of work with, um, with hard and with insomniac um i'm guessing maybe not your style of music that that's your go-to hard more than insomniac okay for sure fair I mean, enough i think their lineups are yeah are harder so yeah um and i think you know so do you still when we get in the car like what's in there sonic youth or, or what, <laughs> what do you listen to there is actually there is uh i just i got the the, the whole collection of of uh, I don't know, not, not necessarily the bootlegs, but but stuff that hadn't been released before that um, that it gets played a lot. Cool. Sonic, Sonic Youth. But, I mean, it goes all over the map. And I think, actually, uh, you know, when you're younger and you're not as efficient, you, you, have, you really have to do one thing at a time, work mm-hmm. on one film for six months or a year or whatever. Um, now, you know, I can have a dozen different things going on. And I just like to wake up every day and go to sleep every day, you know, with with one of those projects in my mind. And, and I, d- I don't have to be as... as uh, locked into one as as i was in the past mm-hmm. and um 
yeah, I, I think that um, just being able to play in that sandbox, I think, is just that's more what I'm into mm-hmm. necessarily. You know, just the fact that I pick up a camera every day and shoot something, and and uh, even if it's just for a couple shots, you know. Yeah. Um, I just I it's there's there I guess there's back to the ADD thing. You know, it's it's uh, you know that sort of pinball aspect, mm-hmm. I guess, of, of, of being in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Kevin, let's talk about those um, pressures that Kevin was talking about to kind of uh, conform to what's expected, right? So you are um, retired as a DJ, but, but you were telling me earlier that, um, you know, when your career started picking up and you start traveling, uh, there's a pressure to play a certain format, a certain type of music. Sure. That wasn't necessarily the stuff that you're really into. That's right. Yeah. Um, So sort of carrying on from where we were talking about with the big break at that time, Adam kind of brought me into his world and sort of showed me the ropes and stuff and uh, eventually had me uh, when he opened LAX uh, just right around the corner from here. Mm -hmm. um, He had me as his resident DJ, which was a pretty bold choice, I feel like, for him at that time. He get a lot of people that were hoping to be there and he sort of went out uh, you know outside the box took a risk like we're talking about and went with me and um you know that was like a first big break for me and that led to traveling which we were talking about a little bit earlier and when the traveling thing started with dexter when he started that whole thing um you know we were we were sort of being flown to these cities as like a savior Mm -hmm. almost right Mm -hmm. so they have these cities where not a lot's going on they want to showcase this new style that we've been talking about right and we're kind of the guys to come out there and do that so it's kind of cool in a way, but the crowd, you know, the people booking us know about this and that's what they want for their venue, mm-hmm. but the crowd has no idea, right? So we would get there and try to basically do what we're doing in Hollywood or LA and there'd be nice where it would just completely fall flat because they're looking at you like, this guy's from LA, what, what is he playing? Like, this is not what we're into. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was, there was nights like that where it was like, you know, boy, I sure would like to just go back to LAX in LA where everybody <laughs> knows the routine and knows what we play. And here I am in wherever, uh, Kansas City, and they just don't get it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm emptying the dance floor, you know, and you're, you're trying to, like, hold that whole thing together, you know. And, um, you know, there was, you know, there's definitely some, some tough nights, but there was other times, too, in some cities where they really grabbed onto it. Yeah. And they were, you know, you'd have those magical nights where the crowd got it. They understood and they knew it was something different and they were into it. Mm-hmm. And those, those were the fun ones. And there was plenty of those, too. Um, but you know, you never quite knew what you were going to get. Right. Sure. Sure. From city to city. So, so how do you balance those pressures? Right. Like you're obviously, it's kind of what we're talking about, right? You're, you're being hired for your creativity. Right. There's also pressure to conform to what's expected. Right. And you know, the right answer may not be obvious or maybe somewhere in between, or maybe one way, one day and one way, another, like what's that process for you? I mean, for me, um, I just try to keep in mind, like, why they wanted me there in the first place. Um, and, you know, maybe that, that enlightening for the crowd isn't going to happen the night that I'm there. Mm-hmm. But they want to start a process. They want yeah. something to happen there. They want to change the way things work there. So I'm a part of that process. Mm-hmm. So I just went in, you know, with, okay, this is what they're hiring me to do. This is what I'm going to come in and do. And, um, you know, it, it could get a little hard on you when, when it's not working great. Um, but, you know, you got to stick with, with the plan, basically. And uh, for me, you know, I tried to, to stay as creative as possible. Um, but, you know, the the grind, you know, there, there's nights where you're there and you're like, oh, not this again. And, and you're just going to play what you know works. Mm-hmm. 
because because you just want it to be a good night yeah you don't want to you know get back to your you know hotel room and be like ah it sucked you know and, <laughs> and you know so th- there there's that sure. pressure too yeah. it's just a balancing act I think a lot of it really had to do with my day that day mm-hmm. you know because like when you're travel DJing you know you're you're getting up early in the morning because you're usually flying to the east coast right. You got a time change. Same day. You got, uh, you know, it's a long day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you leave early in the morning and you get there and the sun's down and it's time to eat dinner. And you're like, what happened to the day, you know? And then you got to go DJ. And, and uh, some days you're in the mood for it and you're ready. And other days you're like, oh, you know? And so I guess a lot of it depended on just sort of how I felt that day, how the crowd was reacting and mm-hmm. just trying to make it a balancing act, make the best of every gig that you can. And it's not easy. Honestly, it's not. It, I didn't find it easy. And after a bit of time when... Uh, you know, when, when my wife got pregnant and we had a kid and I just sort of started to kind of weigh what was more important for me, it was a pretty obvious choice. Like, I think I'd much rather be home, mm-hmm. you know, with my wife and help raise my daughter than, than be out here, you know, rolling the dice every night in some small city, you yeah. know, so. So before, th- how, how big did it get for you before that? Um, it, it got pretty big. I mean, we were kind of in the early travel days, so mm-hmm. we were getting some good gigs and good residencies i think at one point i had like nine residencies around the country i was doing some big events i was working for you know harris caesars uh i was doing stuff like the did some winter olympics parties and you nice. know it was going it was going well um, is there a best night that stands out to you well you know uh, yeah there yeah there, which actually uh <laughs> i'll do a little name dropping for you so. <laughs> there before i started traveling the be- the best night that i remember was at lax adam for i had some other gig and he's like i really need you to do the sweet 16 at lax mm-hmm. and it was like on an off night and i was like oh yeah okay whatever and then as it got closer i was like trying to put m- music together and i'd never really done a sweet 16 in my life so i had no idea what these kids were going to be into and i remember texting him and i was like yeah you know what man can can we get like somebody else to do it because I, I just don't know if like that's really in my wheelhouse you know and he's like uh no you're doing it it's for jimmy iovine's daughter <laughs> and i've assured him that you will do a good job nice and i uh, at that point i was petrified like mm-hmm. oh my god you know, yeah. so I'm trying to put this thing together. So we, we get there and it's it's uh, it, it seemed unusually tight there. Well, come to find out the Secret Service were there because Arnold Schwarzenegger, the then governor, was there to sing happy birthday to Jimmy's daughter. Mm-hmm. So can you he, do that? Can you continue? Can I? Can I let's hear how that sounds. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> how did that sound? Uh, <laughs> well, rendition. he sort of, he just sort of, <laughs> yeah, I don't do impressions, but he just kind of kicked it off and then, and then they jumped into it. And then immediately following that, like Jimmy's assistant came over and said, can you please play family affair by Dr. Dre and Mary J. Blatch? And I was like, sure, you know, no problem. That's a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. No, no big deal. So they get done with happy birthday and I kind of get the cue. I start the record and I'm turning around, like looking for other stuff to play on in my laptop. And my buddy who's with me, he, he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, you got to look at the middle of the dance floor. And I look up, and it's Dr. Dre and Mary J. Blige dancing together nice. to the record they made. And, a, and like 250 16-year-olds around them going nuts. Just party with me, let loose 
That was, without question, the most surreal thing I've ever seen as a DJ. Like I was, I I just tried to, you know, uh, take a snapshot in my head of that that moment because I was like, ah, it's really probably not going to get much cooler than this. Yeah, and it, it never really did. Um, <laughs> well, that's pretty. That's pretty high bar. <laughs> never, never really did. The only other thing that was really cool one time was uh, LAX. A lot of cool stuff happened with celebrities and stuff. But you know, I'm a, I, my brother is, is like I mentioned before. He's ten years older than me, so mm-hmm. I grew up with a lot of classic rock in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much into like ACDC, Alice Cooper, Van Halen, Rush, like all that kind of stuff. So I had a kind of a, a jump start on music. So I was really into that stuff because that was the '70s, you know, with my brother. And is one there, night, is there one song that stands out? One song? Oh man, I'm the guy that can't narrow it down that well. But like, as it, but thinking back then, was there a song at the Tom time? Tom Sawyer. Okay. Yeah, without question, Tom Sawyer. Yeah. yeah. Now that now that you say that, yeah, Tom Sawyer probably that was the song. So I was at I was DJing at LAX again, and I get a tap on the shoulder, and I turn around. And it's David Lee Roth, and I, you know, I was kind of at that point. I'd been playing there for a while, and I wasn't really getting very starstruck anymore, you know, because there was a lot of people showing up, mm-hmm. Prince and Jamie Foxx and all these other people. But David Lee Roth was not somebody I expected to be <laughs> standing there, and he's like, he didn't seem like a clubber. No, <laughs> no, uh, he wasn't like you know he <laughs> he wasn't at the clubs all the time, and and I was like. I turn around and I just, I must've had this look on my face, like, holy crap, you know? And he goes, Hey man, I really like what you're doing with them (laughs) turntables. And I was like, wow, there's an impression by the way. (laughs) And and I was like, wow, thanks. You know? And, and we did, we took a picture together. I said, and I normally never ask for that stuff. I was like, can we take a picture together? Cause nobody's going to believe this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it took a picture and we took a picture together. And then he looks at me and he goes, okay, I want you to do the diamond Dave face. And we did the, you know, the open mouth, like, (laughs) <laughs> you know the big open mouth face you can't see it on the podcast but yeah. and uh yeah i did the the big open mouth one and we did that and i still have that picture it's in my house and that nice. that's a that's reminiscent of a really cool night that's cool that was that was a i was definitely starstruck for sure so why do you think uh as you said you know am there's a lot of guys who could ask to be the resident what what do you think he saw in you i think we were really different from one another mm-hmm. you know he's very active always scratching um you know, very quick. And then I think in me, he saw somebody that was very solid, very consistent. I was very much into mixing and blending records in a, in a, in a certain yeah. way. I think he really liked that sound. And I also think that there was the, the factor of, you know, having a hundred DJs that all expected or wanted the gig and him sure. sort of right. having that dilemma of like, who do I choose? I'm going to piss off the other 99 right. or whatever. Right. But if, if you, if Might you chose piss me, off all hundred. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or, or just say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm throwing a total curveball here. Yeah. And I do remember specifically right after I started there, um, there was a DJ that was in LA all the time. Um, went by the name of Gomez mm-hmm. and, um, uh, Gomez, if you don't know him is, is pretty outspoken guy. He says what's on his mind. And, um, I guess he was there and he was like listening by the front door to my set for like an hour and a half. And he, he came up to me afterwards and he's like, man, I was listening to you play and I was getting pissed off. It's like, I was just getting pissed off. Like this guy is up there playing a CD. And he's like, and then I, then I came closer and I watched you. And he goes, it was like 
surgeon surgical precision you know mm -hmm. just like with your mixes you're just so clean the way you did it and it clicked for me like i got it i figured it out because i think he was kind of looking at it like why this guy get the gig like i never even seen this guy before mm -hmm. you know never heard of him and and i think he sort of he kind of saw what i was doing and what adam was thinking at the time which was let's give la something a little bit different and i think that's i think that's why he chose me and and um also uh, i was uh, really I'm very much into programming. I think it's the number one most important thing. You'd be the greatest scratcher or mixer in the world, but if you can't program, you're gonna, you're, you're crap. Mm -hmm. I, I think. I mean, I think it's really about the crowd. I think it's really about playing the right records at the right time. And I was re that was always number one for me. Um, so programming is very interesting. And I remember going to some of Adam's gigs and, and questioning his programming. Mm -hmm. I was never really afraid, kind of like with the movie process, to, to tell him when I thought something sucked. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, like, kind of questioning him on it, like, why why'd you play that Black Eyed Peas song, you know, or what or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. I'm not uh, that's not a specific example. Don't be mad. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, why did you play that specific record at that point? It seems like we, it, we don't hate the Black Eyed Peas. No, not at show. all. Not at all. No, Adam was a fan, uh, but you know, of of the stuff while he was alive. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he feels about the stuff after. But, <clears throat> Nobody. Uh, but anyway, he you know i would just question him about that and he go oh yeah huh you know like sort of gave him a different uh mindset for you know how to put things together because you know if something didn't work for him he's like okay you know 20 seconds later i'll switch to something else where mm -hmm. i was more like well you could build way more energy if you just picked the right records during that and didn't have that 20 seconds of yeah you know crap yeah. and so i think he was interested in that i don't think i think he had a lot of people that were playing the same kind of style as him in la and here's this guy and he's just nothing like me mm -hmm. and i think that intrigued him I, I, that's my i mean he, he basically told me that but mm -hmm. th i'm you know i'm also expanding upon what what he told me i think that's pretty much the reason yeah kevin kersak is there a record that got you into music oh it's funny what i want <laughs> well, the ventures probably, yeah, the Hawaii Five O. <laughs> wow, the Hawaii Five O. It's one of my first, first, uh, first forty fives. Yeah. I think, um, you know, early 80s in L.A., uh, that turbocharged a lot of stuff for me. X. Yeah. Uh, actually, at that point, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd been through the Clash and, mm -hmm. and, and, and the Ramones and, and, and all that stuff. But I think that growing up growing up with Mammoth, like, you didn't really know that, oh, God, people actually go to a place and they actually right. play. People, you know, all these people collect, you know, they go see them live, even though I had Kiss Alive. Do you remember? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you that's, remember? That's the standard answer. <laughs> sure. Do you remember your first time seeing a DJ and being like aware that you were watching a DJ? Yeah, it wasn't till late actually, uh, where I appreciated the skill set. Yeah. I even saw AM at a back. He played in a garage at a backyard party in, in 2000, but it still really wasn't on on my mind in terms of. Uh, being the the center of the the universe, you know, mm -hmm. that night. Yeah. Um, 
and I think probably a lot of the drum and bass stuff is really what 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 turned me on. Um, Do you I remember used to who go it was? Raymond Roker's uh, Science. Yeah. And I probably saw you there. That was like church for me. Yeah. You know, it was the shit that was going on because that there was a punk rock thing that was mm -hmm. that it felt like that's where those two worlds collided absolutely in, in a way. and um before that i was more in, in, in into industrial stuff mm -hmm. but um he didn't really have the dj as like the the, the scientist you know? right yeah we were in the corner you know in the yeah. dark for a long time mm -hmm. the lighted stages i mean that was that, that's another part of the travel thing i think it kind of blew my mind was like oh suddenly we're i mean even at lax we were in a corner mm-hmm you know, it's like, yeah. oh, we're on, you know, now we're on a four foot stage with all these lights on, you know, I, I personally was uncomfortable with that. That wasn't why I got into DJing, you know? Yeah, I was too at the time, you know, I, I was producing events and, um, and I kind of rejected the idea that we take the DJ out of the booth. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember that, uh, we were doing parties for Scion and, and one of the, it was Hall of Mason. I don't know if you remember oh, those yeah, guys. Of course, they yeah. did this amazing two by four set. Right. Yeah. And they, they were the first ones to kind of like demand nicely that you know <laughs> but you know but they wanted people to see them the I think art it, of it yeah the art, the art of it, it. Right. and i think yeah. part of it was the kind of what you said like that people may not believe it because two by four was right most people hadn't seen that and right. what they were doing was really special and, and so was. to be able to see that and but you know but at, right around that time yeah the whole focus shifted right from from the yep. middle of the floor to the stage uh, and, uh, and I think AM played a role in that too because you yeah. know you have these people that are, are booking him and paying him a lot of money they don't want to put right. him in a corner they want to put him front and center so yeah. that everybody can see their investment so to speak yeah. that they've brought this guy out because they think he's special or whatever and uh, I think that turned a corner and turned it into big business and made it about the show of being a DJ and, and uh, that's when the technical skills really come to the forefront and you know I remember specifically Adam telling me many times you know, he would send me a mix from a night and I'd be like, man, you were scratching a lot on that, you know, mm -hmm. more than yeah. he would maybe say it like LAX. And I'd be like, why, you know, why are you scratching so much? And he goes, when they're paying you that kind of money, they're putting yeah, you, you on a stage and everybody's staring at you. I've got to do something with my hands. You can't just stand there. Right. right. And, um, we didn't know, know about fist bumping at the time. No, the, the <laughs> yeah. All the stuff we're into now that didn't, he wasn't going to do that. He sure. wasn't going to cheerlead up on. Hadn't the, been invented there. yet. Exactly. Yeah. He was yeah. more of a heads down. Let me show you some skills kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, you know, uh, a little bit missing right now. Actually, yeah. he's the Eddie Van Halen of DJ. He abs. You know what? That's a. <laughs> that's that's totally true. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, well, I know we're almost out of time, but I have a couple more questions. Um, the, so the movie is is a is a who's who of of DJing uh, that's interviewed, and uh, any surprises? Anyone, you know, say something that was really just surprising. You know, I think that was what um, what was pretty profound was was the respect, the across the board respect that people had for Adam's skills, and also what he did in terms of pivoting, you know, pull, <laughs> pulling the DJ out of the corner, mm -hmm. and and protecting the artist um, by starting Dexstar and 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 uh, you know creating a management firm and and, and really doing. Um, you know some brotherly work <laughs> some mm -hmm. social work for the mm -hmm. for the dj um you know in, his, in that sense he was sort of a curator for what was happening um and a manager and an agent like all those things collectively and i think that there wasn't a dj that i interviewed that didn't know that yeah and wasn't grateful and uh and from you know 
Diplo, Jazzy Jeff, Vice, even Paul Oakenfold, and like, some mm-hmm. older dogs that that uh, um, and Jeff was his hero, but Jeff also, you know, he he was he was pretty humble in in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of his praise for 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 AM. Yeah. So um, Mixmaster Mike, I mean, it's just it it. Uh, <laughs> It's a shame that that you know a lot of those a lot we only have one line from a lot of those guys, mm-hmm. but it it just this carousel through the who's who, like you say, of of, of DJing, and I think that um, I really look forward to bottling some of those interviews up into like half hour, forty five minute uh, cool. special features, bonus features, you know, yeah. that, that uh, and just letting them play in their you know not necessarily in their entire mm-hmm. entirety, but right? <laughs> well, so maybe in that line, is there a was there a favorite moment that didn't make it into the doc? You know, there are a lot of funny stories, and I think that uh, it's not even musical on, on on my front. I think that there's something that actually Shane Powers said, um, and Shane Shane's just, he's 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 larger than life. You know, yeah. he's, he's a wild man, and and uh, and he talks about AM. You know, we all sort of are born with these spots, or we 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 accumulate these spots throughout our life and um and it's a long story like a lot of you know maybe a lot of adam's stories are in terms of the setup and the and and the and the climax but um and he's talking about you know adam spots were just that you know he was the fat kid on the playground that's like hey wait up kids Mm -hmm. um i tried so hard to fit that in and uh and it just felt it's gonna it's gonna have to live in a special place yeah 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 DVD extras. That's right. <laughs> um, and, you know, there were a few people that were conspicuously missing, and that's not to critique the film, but uh, but some people just weren't in it. Yep. Um, was there, uh, you know, was there people that you wanted to be in the film that you couldn't get? You know, I think uh, there are... Adam left pretty suddenly, and I feel like a lot of people haven't necessarily even processed the fact that he's gone. Yeah. Um, you know, with Scott Weiland and with Kurt Cobain, you can sort of—it's almost like you just see it in the cards. Like mm-hmm. you just—you're just dreading the day when you get that news. And I feel like a lo- with a lot of people that I was interviewing, even it was so raw that I actually felt like a, that I was conveying the news that he was not with us anymore. So I think that that um, governed some of the impulses to, 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 to be in the movie or not be in the movie about, you know, yeah. uh, that public display, that reaction. Um, you know, you have to be pretty brave, you know, and, uh, and I think that um, to be able to step up f- for your, f- that the fact that you're stepping up for your friend mm-hmm. has to transcend, w- you know, the fact that you may not, um, well, you're just, you're, you're breaking down a mm-hmm. bit on the camera, on mm-hmm. camera. So, um, and there's some other things that I wasn't necessarily interested in, in terms of, you know, the Hollywood stuff mm-hmm. that the, you know, I felt like we had enough material to tell, say, the Nicole story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's going to be said that we didn't say in another way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I'm not suggesting that. Yeah. No, no. She should have been in the film. It just, com- it's a know. completely valid, valid. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's noteworthy, I guess, that, that, you know, some people aren't in the movie, mm-hmm. but various reasons why that why that's the case yeah so what's next for the film and and what's next for you guys 
We are going to be out in uh, in theaters and digitally actually in in March. Nice. Um, we 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 decided to. Uh, to not go to war with all the holiday <laughs> holiday movies and, and and take some time and really sort of seed a uh, a release campaign that um, that um, assures its success, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, globally as well as as uh, here in the states. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's um, we're really looking forward to building that campaign over the course of the new year. Nice. Yeah. And then what else are you working on? I am doing a digital series, feature-length digital series of The Wizard of Oz, actually oh, yeah. for Warner Brothers. Yeah, they've. Uh, That's awesome. They own the movie. So the White Wiz, you mean? The White Wiz. Yeah. <laughs> it's with Tim Armstrong, actually. You probably know from. He's doing the music. Cool. Um, yeah. But we're starting to cast right now, and um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big deal. But Warner Brothers never given away given away the songs before. Um, there oh, have nice. been a lot of Oz projects that yeah. are based on the books, but you know certain things are proprietary or in, um, appear only in the movie that 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 nobody's ever been able to play with the songs mm-hmm. the ruby red slippers you know in the books they're silver silver slippers and, cool. and so um that's it's a lot of fun yeah which, yeah kevin what are you up to i i really enjoyed uh working on the movie so if uh, kevin comes calling again on <laughs> another project <laughs> nice uh, i would absolutely be interested in that um it's funny uh Started out just being an interview and, and turned into something more, and I I, uh, I enjoyed the process. I've enjoyed actually the whole process. It's been it's been tough uh, at times. It's been hard. Uh, there's a lot of things to, to figure out and, and do, but um, you know I th- I feel like uh, we stuck together and and you know we've made things work. And so I would and and I I have a lot of respect for him um, and for Joel. So I would I'd definitely be down to to keep doing something like this. I, I like the process. I like I like the idea of making something that's lasting mm-hmm. and interesting. And plus the fact that he mainly does music, which has basically been my life up to this point, um, is also interesting to me too, because, uh, uh, you know, when I was on airplanes doing all my traveling, all I did was read bo- rock bios and, and different books, cool. basically about these types of stories that he makes. So Get, what, what books should we read? Oh, I, I've, I've read so many. I have like, oh, I mean, I used to literally like go on Amazon and just buy books and just take one with me on a, on a road trip, so I've read like all the rock stuff, all the Guns N' Roses books. You know, anyone like, stand out? Uh, well, you know, I'd recommend. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a there's a ton. Um, I really love Reckless Road, um, which was Mark Cantor's book, because mm. he collected every single thing before Guns N' Roses made Appetite for Destruction. So every single flyer, every single picture, like he was there shooting for them, and he tells the stories of basically how the band came together and made that first album, which is obviously one of the greatest albums ever made. And I think. Uh, that book is just I don't think you could duplicate that book you could never mm. duplicate that book again so that one's at the top of the list for me um, but there's other ones like The Dirt Motley Crue it's a great, it's a great book I, don't, I know Kevin probably loves that one Hair Bands you know, I love, no I love that book actually it's a great book yeah. Oral History yeah, it's, it's amazing and um, you know a lot of those rock bios um, I think a lot of them are really interesting even like Nikki Six's book so dark but it mm. was really interesting you know yeah. And um, but I also read I, I read all types of you know, stuff on DJing, stuff on hip hop culture, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But the, I tend to really like the rock bios because I, I think probably because they're the craziest stories. You sure. Know? Yeah. Do you have a uh, favorite DJ other than AM? For me? Yeah. Oh, oh that's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or, or you can, I'll give you an easier out. Um, think back to a, a performance you've seen, a specific DJ performance. I remember one in particular that um, 
that kind of blew me away. I was into Fatboy Slim in the 90s. Really thought he was cool and different. I loved his album. And, and I remember I came to see him do a show at the Palladium. And I was fully expecting him, you know, this is all pre-digital, to play his hits. Mm-hmm. And he showed up. <laughs> he showed up there. And his manager was in front of him and brought out a bottle of vodka and a carafe of orange juice. And he comes walking out with this little, just this little box. And it was all 45s. Mm-hmm. And it was all soul yeah. and classic 45s. And he proceeded, this is like one of his first times in America after you know his big album comes out, and he just played soul 45s for an hour. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Like, what balls, you know? He's like trying to break in America, yeah. and he doesn't give a crap about that. He's going to play what he likes to play. That was pretty amazing. How'd the crowd take it? You know, they went with it pretty good. I think they were really excited about Crystal Method. It was coming on after. <laughs> but, uh, you yeah. know, the live show. But, no, they were, they were into it. I mean, they danced. There wasn't, like, a big uh, backlash or anything. Yeah. I think a couple people were probably disappointed. But sure. I was, like, right up there watching him. And, and he was totally into it. I don't know what he was on or mm-hmm. not on. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he was he was totally into it. And it was a, it was just a cool moment to, to, to show that, like, you know, sometimes it just takes – balls basically yeah to go up there and and believe in your art that was the that's what he came up on and that was the soul of his music and he was going to come to america and he wasn't going to give in he was going to do what what he believed in and what got him to that point uh it was pretty awesome Mm -hmm. and i think that even carried over into am when am was doing something completely against the grain yeah you know kevin favorite uh music video music video uh yours or otherwise favorite experience actually of mine was doing probably doing the Chili Peppers. We built our own circus, camped out for three days, and uh, had a lot of furry creatures and <laughs> and amazing, <laughs> amazing. Nice. It's an amazing experience actually. Yeah. yeah, we lived it for three days. So that's that. Probably. What about what about one that's not yours? Like something that stands out as as influential or meaningful to you? Window liquor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, Chris Cunningham is he's, he's he's achieved guru status in my mind. Mm-hmm. So um, cool, yeah. Documentary, so documentary that's been important to you. <laughs> Funny, probably the thing that's standing out in my mind, maybe just because where we are right now in time, is the fog of war. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's a that's a a window into a dark dark mind. Sure, <laughs> dark time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's promote. Uh, where do we find you guys and the film online? I'm kevinkerslake.com. You can find me that way. I guess. Yeah, you can find me a few different places. My social networks are at DJ Kevin Scott, and there's also DJ Kevin Scott.com. Nice. And and uh, where do we find the film online? You will find it on iTunes, Amazon, um, you know, all those Xbox, probably all those outlets. Cool. Usual yeah. suspects. And there is a webpage for news and stuff. It's djamdoc.com. And uh, also uh, Twitter, Instagram, djamdoc as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. It's been great talking to you. Thank yeah, you. Thank so you. Much appreciate having us. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Oh, man, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed it like I did. Really enjoyed Kevin and Kevin, the Kevins as we call them. And I hope you'll join us next week for more Rebel Radio. Meanwhile, hit us up on iTunes. Leave us that five-star review. iTunes, search for Rebel Radio. Click on those five stars. Do it now before you forget. 
Before I let you go, we got one more bill to pay. I want to see how many of you can build your own website next week at Wix.com. Send us a message after you build it and we'll check it out. We might even make fun of it on the on the air. Wix.com is amazing. It lets you build your own website easy and fast. There's no coding needed. There's lots of templates that you can customize. And you'll end up with a great looking website that you built yourself, something to be proud of. It's easy and free. Go to Wix.com today and make it happen. Wix.com. <laughs>